This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-wy-giving. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. And at that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were unhungered and began to pluck, to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. So right off the bat, you know where we're going. Or you know where these guys were going, rather. And uh, the, the next several verses deal with not just the Sabbath, but what the point of the Sabbath was. Because the Pharisees, if there's one thing that we can give the, there's a few things we can give them credit for. And one of them is that they were absolute masters of missing the point. They really were. These, these were hardened veterans, seasoned and salted and just missing the point. And this was another classic example of it. And you can tell just by reading everything that they always had a problem with, they had a fault-finding spirit about them. They had a spirit of just contrariness and fault-finding. In, in their eyes, nobody could do any right if, they were, if you weren't a Pharisee or if you weren't a follower of the Pharisees. You just had to be, if you weren't of their particular denomination, sect, school of thought, philosophy, then you were just wrong. And that's the way that they thought. There's a lot of people like that today as well. A lot of people like that today. And so what we have was Jesus and his disciples walking through a field. And that wasn't actually corn like we know corn. It was a different plant. I don't remember exactly what it was, if it was wheat or something else. But it wasn't the, the stuff that we know of as corn that you slather butter and tons of salt on and eat until yes that's sounding pretty good right now yes we like corn but they were going through a field and they were hungry and so they started to pick some of what they saw and eat it well so well that's stealing well no not really because under the law of Moses they weren't supposed to make completely square the corners of their fields anyway they were supposed to make them, I believe, round, leave some gleanings there for the poor and the, the afflicted and the fatherless and the widow to come in and, you know, glean some of the leftovers so that they would not starve and die. That's charity in action right there. That's love. That's, that's a community. That's a, a society and a culture looking out for their own. And it was, yes, it was part of their law. It had nothing to do with taxation. It was just because God knew People fall on hard times. Life on earth can be hard and it can be rough and it can be very close to the bone, especially in ancient days. Uh, much less so now in, in our modern civilized society, if you want to call it that. Uh, but it, he had a provision set aside for them. So on went the disciples through this field and they gleaned from some of the leftovers. But because it was on the Sabbath day, oh no, you're sinning. Don't you know it's the Sabbath and we're not supposed to do any work? Really? Was it work? Was it work? Well, let's read on and actually get into what Jesus taught concerning this. Let's begin in verse 2. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, 
Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Now, do you really think that they cared one whit about the Sabbath day? Or did they just care about being right in an argument? We're going to win this one. We got them now, they were thinking in their hearts. But he, Jesus, verse 3, said unto them, Have ye not read what David did when he was in hunger and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests? Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Now let's stop right there because Jesus just cited two major historical incidents here. They need a little bit of clarification. So what was Jesus talking about? He said, have you not read what David did when he was hungered and they that were with him? Well, what's he talking about there? What he's talking about there was a period in time in which David, king of Israel, was on the run for his life. He was on the run for his life. It was a period of violence and, uh, or towards him and, and, and unrest towards him. And so he and his troop that he had with him, those that were still on his side, his supporters, they came by the house of God. Now the temple wasn't yet built, but the tabernacle was there. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant abode and the priests that were there. And this stuff called showbread. And the showbread, I don't recall all of the details concerning the showbread, but the showbread was bread that was baked every day in the temple, and it was to be placed upon a certain table within, uh, within the tabernacle, and it was lawful only for the priests to eat that. It was for the priests. Well, then what happened? David and his troop, on the run for their lives, came by the tabernacle and said, hey, can we have some of that bread? I'm paraphrasing it, obviously. But he said, hey, can we have some of that bread? And what did the priest do? The priest gave him to eat. But the law said that it was only lawful for the priests to eat it. Well, what's this a lesson in? God knows when to cut people slack. God is a God of mercy. And while there are moral absolutes, yes, and while righteousness is expected, God knows when people really just need some provision and some grace and some mercy. And those were concepts that the Pharisees were really just kind of alien to. Mercy? What's that all about? Mercy? No, the Pharisees really, they didn't believe in mercy. Didn't Jesus reprove them in another place in the Word? Didn't Jesus rebuke them for binding grievous burdens on men's backs, morally speaking, uh, for them to carry, but not lifting a single finger to help them bear that burden? Jesus had rebuked them for that. So the Pharisees didn't have a clue about mercy. And there's more on that here in a couple of verses, in a few more verses. But he says... He says, Have ye not read what David did when he was hungered and they that were with him? How he entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them that were with him, but only for the priests. But wasn't it the priests that gave him the showbread? They baked it. He was on the run. The priests even recognized the need for the king, and they helped him out. And they gave him some. And they helped him out. And then he cites another, another incident right here, verse 5. Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? What do you mean by profaning the Sabbath? 
Well, first, let's look at what the Sabbath was supposed to be about, okay? Now, the Sabbath has its roots or its basis all the way back at the creation, all the way back, how that God made the earth and everything, made it, remade it, however, made it all in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. The point was that on the seventh day, he rested. And so when the law came about, because there was no, uh, there was no uh, written ordinance to keep a Sabbath until the law of Moses came about. And that was a long, long time after the creation and everything else. The point of the Sabbath was to give men and women a day of rest. The point of it was to, hey, you want to work six days? Go for it. In fact, that's part of the curse was that we have to work for our living by the sweat of our brow, etc. That was part of the curse. But he, he established it in the law of Moses that on the seventh day, a man was not to do any labor. A woman was not to do any labor. You weren't supposed to do any kind of work at all on that day. It was supposed to be set aside for rest. Now, by the time the Pharisees came along, uh, they had taken that and they had so, they had so, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? They had so penned that commandment in with such a rigid definition that, to, well, even to this day, I can't even just shovel all, I can't shovel all this onto the Pharisees because even uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews to this day, on the Sabbath day, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to turn on a light switch. You're not allowed to turn on a light switch in your house because that's considered work. And so that is, um, well, uh, there's a word for it, but, but I don't know what it is in Hebrew. It's forbidden. It's forbidden. You can't cook on the Sabbath day. You don't turn on your microwave on the Sabbath day because that's considered labor. It's like, well, well, what can you do on the Sabbath day then? Are you just supposed to lay in bed? You're not allowed to get up and go to the toilet because that's considered work? Do you, do you, do you see how that easily becomes an adventure in missing the point? I can't cut any carrots. I, I, can't, I can't put any food in the dog dish because that's considered labor. Or I love how the one guy, the, the Reverend Ryder was telling me about this, this one Jewish fella who took that bottle of water and stuck it under, he stuck it under the, the driver's seat in, he, in his car because that way he was always over water and then he could travel as long as he wanted to on a Sabbath day. Can you say technicality? That's loophole thinking. But did you know that that's what, that's what a religious life that is based entirely upon rules that's what it results in. You become a loophole seeker. And, and, you, and you start looking for technicalities and things. And when you start thinking that way, you've already lost the plot. You've already missed the point. What was the point of the Sabbath day? Take a break. Worship God. Yes, the curse is there, and yes, we have to work and earn our living, however it is that we do it. Yes, we have to do the things that we do. But uh, back in the law, he had stipulated, there's a day that you're not supposed to do any of that on. Knock it off, take a break, take a rest. Now, let's, let's keep going, because I don't want to get lost in that one trench of detail. So 
He says, have you not read in the law how that the, on the Sabbath days, the priests, of the, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, but they're still blameless? Well, how are they profaning the Sabbath? The priests never got a day off. The priests had a seven-day-a-week job, and that was to offer the animal sacrifices and the other kinds of sacrifices daily upon the altar of God. They were supposed to offer those things daily. They didn't get a break. And so even on the Sabbath day, there was the daily offering that had to be made, the daily sacrifices, and so on. And those that taught on the Sabbath day, did you know teaching is work? It really is. I used to teach for 90-minute blocks at a time. So if you wonder why I go over sometimes, I'm still used to 90-minute structured lectures. And I would teach usually uh, one class a night, but there was, an, there was at least one occasion where I had a doubleheader. And that was three hours of teaching in a classroom environment. That's not just something that you just do, right? Like it just pops. Oh, there it is. Here's a nice 90-minute lecture. It's work, and part of the job of the priests was to teach the law. Part of the job of the priests was to teach the law. And so every Sabbath day, there were priests that were laboring. But that's part of the, that, that's part of the needs of the people. It's part of the needs of the people. And so... He says, have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests of the temple profane the Sabbath but are blameless? Well, that word profane carries a pretty heavy meaning too because we hear the word profane and we automatically think about profane language or things that are um, understandably sinful and known to be wrong. But the word profane actually means to simply take something that is uncommon or sacred and to make it common, right? Because the opposite of profane is sacred. I'm talking about in the English language. So the opposite of sacred is then profane. So the priests, by working on the Sabbath day, were making the Sabbath day no longer sacred, but they were making it common and were making it profane. And that wasn't something that everybody could do, but the point was, he says here in verse 7, here he reveals the point. He says, or verse 6, verses 6 and 7 and forward. Let's read it. But I say unto you, let's read the whole thought. Have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, but, or he says, and are blameless? But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Well, who was that? Jesus. Of course, Jesus was greater than the temple. And then he says in verse 7, but if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. This is Jesus correcting the Pharisees for their super rigid, merciless, graceless, hyper-structured, rule-based thinking. He said, if you had known what this meant, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. He said, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Well, who did they condemn? Well, they were condemning Jesus' disciples for daring to pluck a few ears of the corn off of the, uh, out of the field and eaten because they were, well, what, were they supposed to go hungry on the Sabbath? What did the Pharisees expect them to do? Oh, I know, I know. The Pharisees expected all of the Jews to have Gentile servants that could do the heavy lifting and the cooking on the Sabbath day, right? Right? That's Muslim thinking right there. Really? 
Really? That's Muslim thinking right there. That maybe not every single denomination of Islam, but that's that kind of thinking is what you find that well we're we're under this commandment and we can't really we can't really broach that, but these folks they don't believe and so what difference does it make to them? That's not really the right way to think either. The point that Jesus was making here was, hey, cut people some slack. But he's not done dealing with it. He's not done dealing with it even in these verses. And so let's move on. Verse 9, he says, And when he departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. He was disabled. He had a physical disability in his hand. Something was wrong with it. It was withered. It didn't have any strength. He couldn't do anything with it. Maybe it was palsy. Maybe it was something else. We don't know. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're still hung up on this. They didn't, they didn't pick up the message in the first few verses, and so they're still hung up on this. And so they said, they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? It's revealed right here what their motives were. They weren't interested in hearing his answer. They were interested in catching him in his, in his words. You see how the intent of the heart calculates so importantly in, in the discerning and the judging between right and wrong. The intent of the heart. It's not everything, but it's a huge thing. So they asked him that. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? That was why they asked him. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you? See, because he makes it personal right off the bat. What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? He struck them right where they lived. Because he knew the motives of their heart. Jesus knows the motives of our heart. God knows the motives of our heart. He knows the basis of our questions and why we do the things we do or don't do the things that we don't do. And he asked them that question. Which one of you guys having a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, is he not going to put a rope down there or climb down in and lift that sheep out? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, and then he answers their question. He gives them a personal example that pegs them right in their life. And then he says, Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Notice how he phrased that. He didn't say it is lawful to do work on the Sabbath day. He said it's lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. Now let's remember our context, okay? This is Jesus teaching during the time of the law. Because you can't touch the subject of Sabbath without making sure that people understand we're not bound under the law to observe a specific Sabbath day. And was it wow okay well i thought that we were well hold on if you go over to the book if you go over to paul's letter to the hebrews and read about it it really breaks it down and makes it pretty plain that the purpose of sabbath wasn't just to give people a day of rest but it was also a type and a metaphor for resting in christ from ceasing from our own self-righteousness from ceasing from our own efforts and our own labors to be uh, good enough for god and resting reposing in the work that Jesus did. That's where our confidence lies, and that's where our rest lies. And so you have to remember that. We're talking about Sabbath, but not because we're bound under Sabbath. Christ is our Sabbath. And if you're in Christ, you've fulfilled the law by way of Christ. 
And so you're not really bound to observe a single day of rest. It's still good to do, though. I'll tell you that right now, especially in a hyperproductive and sometimes overworked society. It's good to take a day and say, you know what? I'm not doing nothing on this day. Don't come to me with anything. You know what I'm saying? This is the day. Leave me alone. It's good to have a day that you can do that. Don't bring me troubles. Don't bring me work. Don't bring me grief. Don't bring me chores. Put the honeydew list where it belongs in the trash. I'm not doing it. Just saying. Ooh, boy, that sounded pointed. Well, no, not really. It's just good to have a day that you don't have to spend laboring, doing things. But if sometimes you can't do that, sometimes you don't have that luxury, sometimes there's an emergency. And that was what Jesus was bringing up here. And he's not trying to create a precedent or a clause of it's okay to sin against God in the event of an emergency. He was trying to get the Pharisees and those that were trying to catch him in his words to understand the Sabbath was made for men. Men weren't made for the Sabbath. Do we understand what that means? The Sabbath, the day of rest, was meant to be a blessing to men, not an oppressive rule to keep them from doing something that was absolutely needful. Does that make sense? Because, and he used the sheep metaphor. I think that's great because there were a lot of shepherds in Israel. A lot of people lived by their flocks, not just the wool, but by the meat also. And so you, if you had one lamb, that's all you had. Maybe a wolf had come in and taken the other four or however many you had. And that one lamb, that one sheep fell into a pit. Oh, it's the Sabbath. There went my last one. Stinks to be me. The point was, Well, not just cut people a break, but the Sabbath was made to benefit people. That rest was made to benefit people. So he says in verse 12, how much more then, or he says, how much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. Well, is it good to rescue your stock animal from, you know, a deadly trap? Yes, of course. Is it lawful to do something good for somebody? Of course. I love the way that, and I, I, that's why I love that phrasing there, right there in that verse. It is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. And then, then he really drives the point home, okay? Just like it was a nail in a board. He really drives the point home with the next couple of verses. It says, then, then, he, then saith he to the man. Which man? Remember the guy with the withered hand? We were just talking about him. He says, then saith he to the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. It's like he did that just to slap that fault-finding spirit right out of those folks. And I don't think I'm attributing, I don't think I'm attributing that wrongly. But really, it's like, it's, he said, it's lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. Here, stretch forth your hand. And it was healed. It was healed. And that was it, because in the very next paragraph, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him. Remember how key the language is. They didn't say that they went out and took, they took counsel against him how they might kill him. They didn't say that they went out and took counsel how they might discredit him. They said they went out and took counsel against him 
how they might completely destroy this man. Because he'd called them out. He'd presumed to instruct them in something they were supposed to be masters of. And then he insulted them by doing it right in front of their faces. Not saying that that was his motive. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. They wanted to completely undo this man now. They wanted to completely wipe out his credibility, his authority. They wanted to undo everything that he could. If the internet had existed, they would have absolutely assassinated him on every social platform that they possibly could have. They'd have done it on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, everything. They'd have shadow banned him. They'd have blocked his accounts. You know what I'm talking about if you've been following the news. That's what they would have done because they were looking to completely wipe this man out. They were looking to destroy him. But verse 15, he says, or the word says, But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. You, why stop now? <laughs> so I've already proven my point. I've already showed the Pharisees how wrong they were, and he started healing everybody that followed after him. But, verse 16, he says, And he charged them that they should not make him known. So he wasn't looking for fame and the time wasn't right for, for his identity and all that he was doing to be completely noised abroad on this matter. He says he charged, or the word says it char he charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Who's that? That's Isaiah. That's uh, probably a Greek rendering of Isaiah. The prophet saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. My beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break. Is this sounding familiar? We were just there two Thursdays ago in the Thursday night service. If you weren't here, you missed it. It was a good message. It was a good message. He said, A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. What this was was a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 42. And it's almost word for word here. Isaiah chapter 42, which reads, Behold my servant in whom... Whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And we talked about what he meant by judgment there. It wasn't that he was going to bring forth de devastation and destruction to the Gentiles. That's the first thing we think of when we hear the word judgment. This is the end of the line and I'm doomed. That's what we think of with judgment. But that's not what he's talking about. He says he's going to bring forth judgment. What's judging? is judging between right and wrong. It's discerning. It's understanding, knowing, making the call between right and wrong. He says he's going to bring forth judgment to the Gentiles, the knowledge and the discerning of what is right and what's wrong. Because a lot of the Gentiles didn't. They didn't have the law. They didn't have the wisdom of the prophets. They didn't have the wisdom of Solomon and, and all these other things throughout the Word of God. The Gentiles didn't have any of that. Jesus was going to bring that to them. And now look at what he's done 2,000 years in. Hasn't he brought it to us? We who are Gentiles. Raise your hand if you've got any Jewish blood in you that you know of. Nobody? No takers? <laughs> Maybe. 
if we're such a tossed salad of ethnicities in this culture, you know, I've been told that I look Jewish. I don't know if I do or not. Maybe I do. Maybe I need a little hat, a little kippah. Those are kind of cool, I guess, except I always want to take it off and grab a hot pot lid with it because it looks like that's what it's for. But we're Gentiles, every one of us. But we have the gospel. And we have all the, all the letters of the, of the apostles. And we have the entire Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the books of poetry, the books of history. We have all of it. We have judgment at our fingertips. And so now, this really brings it home tonight in our little Bible study. What are we doing with it? Oh, you keep asking that question, preacher. Why? You spoil it. Every message, every Bible study, you spoil it by asking me what I'm doing with it. Well, what are you doing with it? Are you reading it and learning it? So that when a situation arrives in your life, you have the answer. You have the knowledge. Now, it's not something you read overnight. There's an awful lot here. I mean, the Jews, they go through just the first five books of Moses once a year. They go through their daily Torah readings, the first five books, and then they go through that year, you know, only once a year. And so it takes a while to get through it. But it's possible, more than possible, to get through this thing every year, if not even more frequently than that, just saying, not trying to make it sound like it's a commandment, but we have judgment right here bound up in the Word of God. And when you have the Holy Ghost, then that understanding goes into overdrive because then you have the Spirit of God in you along with your knowledge of the Word because just knowledge of the Word, there's tons of people that are out there with heads filled with knowledge concerning the Bible, but they never apply it. They don't do anything with it. It's just data in their head. And that, what have we talked about in times past? The difference between the student or the scholar and the disciple is that the scholar studies to get information into his head. The disciple studies that he may apply it to his life. How does this apply to me? And what do I do with it? That's what makes somebody a disciple. That's what makes somebody a disciple of, of anyone, depending on what it is that they're studying. And in our case, disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is he not our Lord? That means our master. And if he, is, if he is our master, then shouldn't we be seeking to know and to do what he would have us to do? But back to the prophecy, he says here, I've put my spirit upon him. This is a prophecy from God speaking of the coming Messiah. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. But then there's these verses right here. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. And we talked about what that meant. You know, he wasn't a, a bruised reed. He wasn't coming to, to break things that were harmed and injured. And the smoking flax refers to that, that lamp wick that's got the lamplight burning in it because made out of flax a lot of times. Flax was a, a, a vegetable fiber that they made wicks out of. And if it's smoking, smoldering, and just barely giving out any heat or light, 
He wasn't going to put that out. The prophecy in Isaiah 42 was when Messiah comes, he's not coming to tear down and to destroy and to cause ruin. He's not coming to put people's lights out when they're struggling just to survive. He's not coming to do that. He's coming to bind up and to heal and to breathe new life into smoldering lamps. And you know it's a metaphor. You know that it's symbolic. I hate to use the term symbolic because that's so much. People use that phrasing to dismiss a lot of things that they shouldn't. But Jesus, or this prophecy rather, was a metaphor for what he was coming to do. And that ties over into other prophecies concerning Messiah. uh, That uh, he was coming to bind up the brokenhearted. And to set at liberty those who were captive. And so on. He says, a bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name, in his name, shall the Gentiles trust. Here we are, Gentiles, every one of us. We're trusting in Jesus. That's the only name given among men whereby we must be, or even can be, saved. And we'll pick it up, be at the will of the Lord, next week in verse 22. We're going to talk about divided houses, divided kingdoms, divided churches. Nothing that's divided can stand. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving.